Hey there, Tyler here. Uh, If you've been listening, you may know that Rick is out on parental leave right now. So instead, we've got a special episode today. I'm really excited about this one. We have as a guest, uh, Drew Riley from Trends.VC. Rick will be back next week. So we'll be back to our kind of regular scheduled programming at that point. Um, But so today's going to be pretty different. Uh, You're probably used to podcasts where a guest comes on and talks about themselves and all that. I personally am not really a fan of that type of episode. Um, I feel like because you're starting over with each guest, uh, you never really get very deep. You just kind of scratch the surface. So I didn't want to just do a normal interview with Drew. Instead, I wanted to do something else, which is basically just record a conversation that we were going to have anyway. I tried to think, like, why do I listen to podcasts? And one of the big reasons is I like to be a fly on the wall to hear interesting conversations that I otherwise wouldn't be a part of. I think that when I talk to Drew, those are those types of interesting conversations that some people might enjoy listening to. So I figured we'd just record it. Okay, so who is Drew and and why is this conversation interesting? If you're not familiar with Trends.VC, Rick and I talk about it from time to time on this podcast. We're both subscribers. It's a paid, uh, mostly newsletter. There's also like a community along with it and stuff like that. But it's basically once a week. Drew puts out a report on some kind of trend that's relevant to the startup or tech space. So I highly recommend it if if you just want to like stay up to date on things and be able to talk about stuff intelligently without doing all the research yourself. He sends these really, really short, just densely packed with information reports once a week. There's a free version and a paid version. um, So you can check out the free version if you're not sure, but I recommend it. And um, what's really interesting is the way Drew comes up with these reports even though they're very short reports, he puts a tremendous amount of effort into each one. And what he does is he, I'm sure he does his own independent research, but then he talks to maybe 10 or so people that he thinks have interesting things to say about it and just kind of workshops the ideas. He calls this jamming. Um, so I, I think it's a perfect name. If you've ever been in a band that kind of does jam sessions, it's um, it's just kind of like working off of each other's ideas and building something kind of on the fly. So Drew sets up each week maybe 10 or so of these calls with different people where he jams on the ideas that he's going to include in the report. I've been in these uh, kind of jam sessions like three times prior to this one. And each time I just walked away from it like, wow, that was a fascinating conversation. It's incredibly fast paced because he already has all these ideas. Um, It's not like I'm helping him come up with new ideas. He's just running things by me. And then I kind of If I have something to add, I do. If not, he moves on. So a lot of ideas flying around. I always think it's fascinating. And I thought it would be interesting for people to kind of hear how he does these interviews and this research to get all of the really great ideas that he puts into his reports. So that's what we're doing here. We we just set up one of these. It's for the topic of low code. Um, It has already been published. So if you look back at trends.vc, he's already sent out the report. So you can check that out. Um, I do want to give a couple warnings here. One, because we're not recording this, we, we didn't have this conversation for the purpose of a podcast. It was for the purpose of him doing research for his report. Um, it's very fast paced. We do not provide very much context. So I'm hoping this will be interesting to people, but it might be a little harder to follow than a normal episode. I'd love for you to let me know. Like, is this is this interesting because you get to hear how people are actually talking in private? Or is it not interesting because we aren't giving any consideration to the fact that there's an audience here? You let me know. I'd love to hear from from you about that. Um, so yeah, one is that it's it's pretty fast paced. Okay, warning number two. Um, this is a somewhat technical topic. We're going to talk about low code, and um, in my conversation with him, we talk about what we think low code means. 
but it's kind of the intersection of code and no code. We talk about no code a lot on this podcast. This is going to get a little more into the technical weeds of different programming languages and stuff like that. Uh, again, hopefully it's easy enough to follow, but uh, if you struggle with that or anything, let me know and I can we, we can adjust if we ever do something like this again in the future. I also do want to apologize for the audio quality. We both had good podcast microphones and we had it all ready to go and then um, hit some technical problems. So we ended up just recording the Zoom audio. I tried to clean it up as much as I could, but um, it's it's not the best audio quality, but I think you'll be able to make out what, we, what we're saying. So uh, apologies for that. Um, okay, so without further ado, we're just going to jump right in here. Again, we're not going to provide context. We're not talking to an audience. This is just how Drew has a normal jam session with anyone that he's talking to to research one of his topics. Uh, enjoy. This is for Report 55 on low code. Uh, as usual, we'll open up with uh, why it matters. I'll ask you some questions. And then we've done a few of these, so we can just like jump into the main ideas. And as usual, the more you push back, the better. The more you disagree, the better. Uh, no need to like wait for me to finish a thought. No need to take notes. If something comes to you, just interrupt mid-sentence uh, <laughs> and jump in there. We can like jam, jam out there. Uh, right. And yeah, so a few things. Instead of doing why it matters first, I'll just ask you a question uh, first this week where uh, like how would you define local? Uh, yeah, uh, without any other context, I would have said like low code is a response to no code. So no code is how do you like build software without writing any code. And I think of low code as being, how do you, 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 how do you use a lot of tools to enhance your abilities? It's almost like being a bionic human. It's like, how do you use machines to make yourself better? But yeah, you, you are still writing a little bit of code because no code can't do it all. The tools can't do it all. Yeah, you might be spying on me because I have the emoji for each report and it's the bionic arm. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so um, I think we're on the same page there. And I come from both ends where it's, uh, it's sort of like a bridge or a ramp for, I think of it as a bridge or a ramp for people coming from no code to low code. It just wants like more customization. Uh, and I also think that this is sort of like a very old movement in terms of developers, whether they're saying like, hey, uh, I don't want to repeat myself. I'm going to write a library uh, or mm -hmm. I'm going to write functions even before I write this library. And then I'm going to use a framework and then APIs when they come around, these templates that you might buy that get you like 80% there and then you'll like tweak the rest to get you. So I think of it as like a bridge of it's allowing developers to be more productive. But like you said, it's also giving um, people that are coming from like a non-development background the ability to customize things more uh, which might be like sort of heretical that I'm going like both ways with it. But I think the case will get stronger. I may not convince everybody, yeah. but I think the case will get stronger. I mean, I buy that 100%. Like just coincidentally this last week, I built and launched a new website. And I mean, my background, I have a degree in computer science. I'm a software engineer. I did the whole thing on Webflow, ConvertKit. And I wrote like three JavaScript functions to, there are a few things Webflow couldn't do. So, you know, I went in and added that myself. So I think... That's to your point. That's a perfect example of like I I know how to code, but this helped me get the prototype out there faster. Yeah, yeah. You hit on something else. I saw you tweeting about that, but you hit on something else of these like code optional tools. Where I did a similar thing in Card, where it's just like I got someone to build like a card template, uh, and then I think I just wrote like one JavaScript function to autofocus the uh, on the like sign up form, and you know mm -hmm. that was it. Yeah, exactly. But you, I, I get the impression you're talking even more like. More code than you're not talking about writing a little code on top of Webflow. You're talking about using like 
I don't know, like Laravel or like where, where does Laravel stand for you in terms of low code or Ruby on Rails? Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's low code. I think of it as you can call it a spectrum, but it's almost like this direction of you've, we've talked about this in the uh, next up channel where we have that like thread uh, mm-hmm. before these reports drop. But like, as soon as you're getting off, I think of high level programming languages as low code or lower code. Yeah. Right. I would throw that in there um, because it's like, you can get less abstract and we'll talk about trade-offs in terms of customization, all these other things. But it's just like, if you're not trying to get to like some arbitrary point in the universe, maybe this is a problem that someone's dealt with before and they had some type of like abstraction that you can work with. Uh, even if it's like an open CV library or something like that, um, there's usually part of the like human colossus that you can stand on if you will. We're going to get super abstract because that's yeah. our style later on. <laughs> 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 get there for a little bit. Cool. Cool. So in terms of uh, why I think this matters, um, already talked about part of this where it's just like, it sort of feels like it's the direction that um, like we head in as soon as we start to solve a problem, even to go back before uh, code, if you will, if you think about the like industrial revolution and you're like sort of not taking power away from, but you're enabling uh, regular people that are less skilled or unskilled to do what like craftsmen are doing, right? Where it's like, probably you had this whole like cottage cottage industry or something before and the fact that like this person knows how to operate this machine or pull this lever uh now they're enabled uh to create like similar things yes it may not have all the like you know designs and all of this and it's just like it's sort of this crazy parallel to what we're dealing with with like full code and low code and no code where trade-off is customization um on the other side of that is like leverage um, yeah, and speaking of leverage, just going back to the bridge idea of it's allowing developers to do more, but it's also allowing these uh, domain experts that may not be developers to just be closer to the problem. They don't have the communication drop off of even though I gave you uh, like wireframes, you still didn't exactly nail uh, mm-hmm. like what we're going for here. But if it's all in the same brain and this person is enabled, uh, it's disempowering for them. Uh, we could talk about internal like teams being more uh more more independent like engineering resources not necessarily being as much of a blocker you've like reduced those internal dependencies well yeah you, you used, to, i feel like you had something to add yeah. you <laughs> used the word craftsmanship earlier and like it's interesting because it doesn't mean there's not craftsmanship it means the craftsmanship is on something else right yep it's like rather than turning this into a technical challenge this is let's say it's a financial services product it's a financial services challenge and the technology is the commodity here so exactly. I like the fact that it lets a different type of craftsperson get involved in the create the, the making process. Love that, love that. Uh, and yeah, I feel like we talk about this every other week. The other part, whenever we're talking about leverage, whenever we're talking about you're allowing them to focus on some other aspect of this problem, uh, we start talking about like the theory of the firm, smaller firms, more million dollar one person businesses, because what you're telling me is that I don't have to be uh, like the most technical developer to build the solution out. It even applies to if I have contractors or I get help, they don't have to be as specialized. So not only do I have more leverage, the people that I'm working mm-hmm. with have more leverage. And that leading to these like smaller, more unique firms, uh, if you will. And, yeah, let me, let me run yeah. a, a thesis by you here because I just wrote a blog post where I was thinking about this. So I was basically saying, um, Okay, big big companies have a really disproportionate advantage technologically because they can hire all these engineers and build all this custom software and stuff like that. Um, and I, I'm kind of in the post. I proposed what are some p- possible solutions to this, and one of them is basically something like a, a technology co-op that allows all the small businesses to leverage backend as sophisticated as what 
the big tech companies have. And the way that happens is, you know, that's what Webflow is doing. That's what Stripe is doing. Uh, and Shopify is basically saying, we're building all the tech kind of scaffolding so that a one or two person business can, can get that same infrastructure and just run their business on top of it, basically, which seems consistent with what you just said. Absolutely. And I would also say that's what open source has been doing since the mm. beginning. And you still have like, you can talk about AI and like, where, where do those rewards accrue? I do think that they accrue to like the bigger players. We talked about data effects a few uh, days ago. Um, but yeah, I think that's sort of not the job to be done, but that's a benefit of the open source movement that you can have these players even trying to build their proprietary uh, data, but it's like, can they keep up with the world? Can they keep up with the rest of us? Right. Um, there's always exceptions. There are always trade-offs. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to sort of like preface that or suffix that, whatever. Uh, yeah, that's that's why uh, I think it matters. I'm thinking about bringing quotes back uh, for this one where I really love this quote. Uh, I think it may apply of uh, civilization advances by extending the number of operations we can perform without thinking about them. And mm. low code doesn't get us all the way there. Again, I keep coming back to this like bridge idea. We'll, later on, we'll talk about how I think that it has a lot in common with like art and language as well, but like seeing it as a bridge of this is just, it's not the last stop, right? It's, it's moving towards low code. And then ultimately automation or these things that we can perform mindlessly. We don't have to think about them and they're happening and we can afford to focus on other problems. I love the, like your broad definition of craftsmanship, right? We can be craftsmen or craftspeople about other things, other parts of the stack, if you will, like a very broad definition of stack. Yeah. Yeah. Do you studied computer science? Is that right? Yeah, I'm a developer by trade. Yep. Okay. Because, um, yeah, it always seemed weird to me, like, in, in a university setting, they're not teaching how do you, like, what are the things you accomplish with technology? They're teaching, like, technology for technology's sake. And it sounds like you're kind of saying, like, that. who cares? Like, the same way we're not studying, I don't, you know, I guess I don't have a good example because I don't know about anything else, but... Yeah, what the world wants is for a thing to exist, not for people exactly. to have like really good algorithms behind the things necessarily. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I went to school. I just got an IT degree. I didn't even do like computer science. They taught two programming classes, but I taught myself Ruby outside oh, nice. of that. Still don't know of a university that's teaching uh, Ruby. But yeah, it's that in that same idea. And that's why I gravitated towards Ruby because it's just like it's almost natural language in a way of the way three dot times do this thing, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like, mm -hmm. oh, Let's just get straight to it. But like my uh, professors hated that. They were like, this isn't real. You know, you're not really an engineer if you're making websites. And it's like, okay, the world's going to pass you by. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to them. We're going to get to them. It's just going to be beat. <laughs> go, go. Cool. Uh, so we just got through what matters. going to drop down to like problem, solution, and then players and some more stuff later. Uh, you probably like sent some like hesitance on my end to cover low code because I almost feel like uh, this is so much in common with no code. Almost so I can copy and paste the problem statement from there where in no code, the problem was uh, we're recreating wills and apps, uh, like wasting time, money and energy. Uh, I think time is the most important part of that thing. Uh, and it's at different like points where it's just like you're able to develop faster with like low or no code. It's usually easier maintenance. There's so many interesting like things to dip into on the maintenance part uh, of earlier, I talked to uh, someone about this where I've worked at places where they've rolled out their own like front end framework. And this has a lot of downsides. For one, uh, how do you get someone up to speed on all of these things? They're usually poorly documented. Uh, you, you just talked about the world passing you by. 
We're seeing mm-hmm. React, all these other frameworks come out with all these cool features. We either have to stop working on like what we're actually trying to get done to build these features out, or we have to have envy of this outside project. The fact, like even knowing that that thing exists causes pain, right? That we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that like that time and then also like deployment, you're saving time in terms of deployment, which is why I think um, if a hater is just like, oh, these things don't scale, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, like there's actually a subset of low code that's all about scaling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, well, not- I just think... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of think, and I, I mentioned this in, in your uh, circle community, like, I think one of, the, maybe long-term, low-code and no-code builds the final production solution. I kind of view it right now. There's some problems where it can be the final, like, the final product. And it's ones where you're not, like, living in the product. The user experience needs to be good enough, but it doesn't have to be, like, every little pixel is exactly what you want. But you mentioned building internal frameworks being a mistake. A counterpoint to that is Google kind of famously, one of their huge advantages over tech, other tech companies is they built so much internal tooling that you can and just Facebook. like, and, and Facebook, yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, my understanding is from the people who work there, you can like write one line of code and it's like, oh, it's going to spin up a thousand servers that can handle terabytes of data per second. It's because they built all this. And I, I guess my point being, I, I feel like for the more sophisticated applications, they will turn into real code full-on code, you only prototype it in low-code. But even then, this idea of like heavy, heavy abstraction, uh, it only works at scale, arguably, but I think it still is, is true even then. Absolutely. And I think that's when, that's when you should do it, when you're the Googles, when you're the SpaceXs, when the, you're the Neuralinks, and you're sort of at the bleeding edge, you're at these edge cases, right? Like we talk about trade-offs, but it's worth it, right? This, mm-hmm. this marginal improvement is worth it for you. Uh, there's this other thing that you reminded me of where I think that I would even argue um, to like strengthen your point even more. I would argue that uh, even the smaller players are moving more towards full code, almost like uh, if you look at this life cycle of like no code and by no code, I mean analog. I mean like pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Of, I'm trying to prove something. I'm trying to validate something. Let me see if I can do this manually and then no code. So I'm going to get like a low fidelity version out there. Uh, and then like low code, uh, I don't know if I just said low code, but if I meant no code, low mm-hmm. code, uh, it's going to give me a little more fidelity. Uh, and then as I get into like, okay, maybe this is a fragmented market. I need to niche further. Uh, then I'm going to move on to like full, fuller code. But each time, like I have more and more confidence where we talk about like mm. a value ladder. This is more of like a confidence ladder of like, okay, this thing is validating. I can afford to invest more. It creates this like feedback. Resource. Yeah. We're on the same page there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then I think this is like a very basic solution or definition, uh, which is in the solution part of like uh, low code tools give you like battle tested solutions or more battle tested solutions to like common or well understood problems uh, where you talk about like, do you need another like blogging solution or forum or whatever? Uh, these are problems that we've tackled. Um, I don't know how many times, but mm-hmm. like how many groups have they existed? How many Facebooks have existed in face the like scale problems or uh, it doesn't even have to be about scale. It could be around, um, I think, well, security is a good one. Yeah, yeah. No one wants I, to roll I, their I own security. To <laughs> I listened to an episode recently, so um, I know that you, that's very top of mind for you. The security <laughs> yeah. <angle. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rick was just asking about this. Yeah, he built his website with MemberStack and, and Webflow. He started moving to low code and uh, said, yeah, how do I make sure the code I just wrote is secure? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that um, we've been talking about like crypto a lot lately and uh, trends we see, but we're going to talk about like token standards where maybe 
maybe what we're optimizing more for there is security and not even like speed. Speed is like a sort of secondary or tertiary benefit. Uh, but if we jump down to talk about like token standards or protocol standards, uh, I would argue that those are like low code or lower code solutions where the fact that this thing is like Lindy, it's been tested by time. There are billions of dollars staked in this protocol or in this token. It's almost this inherent uh, bug bounty that hasn't been cracked. So as opposed to like trying to create uh, this new thing, again, back to your point about craftsmanship, maybe you play with governments or you play with incentives a little bit, but what you're not gonna do is like play with uh, that underlying standard. Um, you're, you're, you're innovating on another front. If you will. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and then the player section, it just goes deeper uh, into what I talked about, that like possible controversial point that low code includes uh, high level programming languages, libraries, frameworks, APIs, uh, these templates that may get you 70 to 90% of the way there. And you have to uh, do that. And then you can also talk about like tools or platforms like uh, Retool or Card or Webflow. And I'm calling them platforms because you're seeing um, you're seeing other businesses being built on top of them where you're sort of, uh, they're almost like mini economies. Uh, mm-hmm. where you think about uh, the businesses built on web Webflow, where it's just like the rest of the world is conspiring to help you write less code, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a difference. Like my era of SaaS companies, like, you know, we started in 2009. Everyone was building tools. And it was like, you're running your business and one of the tools you use is less annoying CRM. And definitely nowadays, it's not like Shopify is not a tool. It is the thing, it, it is 90% of your business and you're doing the other 10%. Um, so yeah, I like that framing of kind of like a platform or whatever more than, it, it is different from from what SaaS was five years ago. Yeah, and this thought may not go anywhere and it I'm most like 99% sure it doesn't end up in the report, but it's the whole thing of every, like now we're talking about every company is a media company. Before we used to say every company is a, a tech company, it's table stakes now. But if you think about the like coffee shop where if you like pull code out or you pull tech out, it's not able to function, but it's also not to differentiate it. Like that's not where that business lives or dies on. Mm. Uh, it's just invisible in a way. It's just there. It's, it's accepted. Yeah, it's uh, like having electricity in 1950. It's like, yeah, of course your restaurant has electricity. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's, that's such a beautiful point. Yeah, I think where I was going with that is in terms of, we talked about this sort of like uh, this, this life cycle of, Maybe they're one of the examples where they don't need to get to custom code, right? Like they're fine mm. with no code in the sense that I'm going to use this like Stripe interface, this Stripe platform, where if you take it out, I'm not able to function. If you take electricity away, I'm not able to function, uh, but I don't need to build some like crazy power plant to power my Bitcoin mine with, you know, yeah. this crazy management solution. There's always these edge cases, depending on what tech we're talking about. I mean, yeah, that, so let me, I said something earlier that I said inconcisely that you just said concisely. I was like, well, when, when does it turn into full code and not? And yeah, I, I totally agree. It's that simple. If technology is your differentiator, probably low code isn't your long-term home. If something else is your differentiator, no code or low code would be. Love that, love that. Taking a note. Uh, and then in predictions, uh, the first prediction, we sort of touched on this, but these like uh, like full code or high code solutions um, aren't going away, right? It's back to edge cases of if you're, you know, an engineer at Neuralink or SpaceX, like I would even argue that like maybe they're using some OpenCV stuff. I'm speculating. I don't know. Uh, but there are going to be problems that they run into uh, that maybe people haven't run into or haven't solved that they have before. Back to like your Google example and the Facebook example that we talked about earlier. Uh, so it's not that developers are going away, they're becoming more productive and they're working on like harder and more interesting problems. 
uh, just sort of to like get this get this out of the way up front because I think it's going to be top of mind as people it's, think about it. Yeah, it's the exact same. I feel like when people talk about like they're concerned about things going away, it's like people think more physical than virtual. So they think about physical robots and stuff like that. And I, I don't know what the future holds, but what the past holds is robots take away low wage jobs and replace them with high wage jobs, right? Because now you have to take care of the robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that same thing I'm happens with software. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, someone compared the like um, concern around self-driving cars and I understand like there's some like fatalities and things actually happening there. Uh, they compared it to elevator operators where at some at one point, like we wouldn't get on elevators unless it had an elevator operator. Uh, and then I think it was elevator operators went on strike and you're sort of forced with like climbing these 20 flights of stairs and operating the elevator. So it's like, I think of uh, Nassim Taleb here where it's just like your, your beliefs are truly going to be tested. And some people are just like, you know what? I'd rather take the chances with this elevator than do these stairs <laughs> where you weren't forced, you know, you weren't forced to face that dilemma before. But now we're going to see what you really believe that like you have to stake something uh, hmm. behind this. You're going to climb these stairs or you're really going to test this belief that something terrible is going to happen if you don't push this button yourself. And it may have not been that simple mechanically, but yeah. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. I want I realize this is outside the scope of your report, but like if you're a, you know, 20 year old in a coding boot camp who thinks you're like on track to be an okay but not amazing coder, is the takeaway here like go be amazing at something else and build it on no code or low code cuz like maybe the middle is going to get carved out here where like good but not great coders are the losers from this. That's interesting because we first started talking, I was like, I'm looking at, and I'm actually working with the guy now with where he's building a lot of like no code solutions uh, for me right now. So it's just like, there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of businesses that need these people. Uh, you could argue that this is becoming true already for like full on developers. But I think that maybe being in the middle, like the rents that you're able to extract go down. Uh, but as you're like on this like leading edge of like deeply technical, best technical mind, uh, and this is sort of like fractal in a way because you can look at any industry and say this of like there's this bell curve of talent mm-hmm. and it probably even applies to like uh, low-code practitioners. Um, I just don't have a super high like confidence level about anything yeah. I would say. That, that's same, a, that's same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, another prediction just as around, this is sort of a table stakes like uh, development getting faster, deployments getting faster, it being like easier to like maintain things because there's just so many like runoffs or secondary effects here where if we're saying, okay, I'm going to use this low code tool as opposed to doing this thing in house uh, documentation is there. You sort of, I talked about this earlier, but have the like rest of the world conspiring to improve your condition where, Oh, they just, you know, added this new feature. Okay. You know, let's, let's upgrade react. Let's do this. Uh, And then everything is just more documented. Uh, And then like I talked about DevOps earlier, but it's just like, there are people where this is all they focus on, right? You can focus on what's unique about your business. Yes, you may need a blog. Yes, you need to deploy your app. Yes, you need subscription billing. We know these things. Focus on what's unique about your business. Uh, and that just allows things to move faster. It's grease. Yeah. Do you think of DevOps as like an internal position, kind of like HR almost, like versus software engineer to tech companies, like building a product for customers? I would say I think it's about size, but I think Snapchat is paying Google like $400 million a year and they don't have any DevOps people or they have very few. Mm. So they've sort of like delegated their DevOps in a way 
So before I would say, I think it's about how big is the company where I've worked in companies where we've had one DevOps person or we haven't had any DevOps people. And then I've worked at uh, this large company, Mannheim, which is my last job, where we had a team of like eight people and we had our own DevOps person. We had like two QA, like super specialized. As you get to mm. these bigger companies and they have more resources, you can get super specialized there. Interesting. Okay. The reason I ask about it, like when we're talking about low code, no code. So I did an internship at General Mills. Um, obviously they sell like serial, not software. They have 600 programmers, or this was 2008. So at, in 2008, they probably have a lot more now. They had 600 programmers and it was almost... It was an internal support role. And I think that's the type of thing. I don't know if it's already started happening, but are 300 of those people going to get just, well, we don't need you because we're building this all on Airtable now or something like that? I'm seeing, um, I don't know what his title is, but uh, Phil, uh, one of my friends, Phil, he's working internally and he's like a no coder, low coder. Uh, I think we'll need more of these people. And I think I, this, this thesis is still forming and it's not fully developed yet, but going back to like, to what degree can they extract rents? I think if you're an excellent communicator, which probably goes for any profession that mm -hmm. like raises uh, how, much, yeah, how much you can earn. Um, but yeah, it just comes down to like integration being able to like understand problems clearly. Uh, I think that developers are in trouble if they're not able to, if, they, if they're thinking more about, um, if they're thinking more about the, I hate to say it this way, but if they're thinking more about the implementation than like right. the outcome or the product, if you sort of get what I said, like if you can be generous in a way, I haven't really figured out how to refine that thought. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm not trying to like wring my hands about job loss here. Like I think there's more opportunity, not less, but like where yeah. is the opportunity? Cause like let's take Earnest Capital. I assume mm -hmm. you follow them somewhat at least. Like yep. they are putting out a lot of tech enabled product thingies for building a startup community and they just they're doing the whole thing in no code and they they talk all the time about how they're like we just have one person who knows no code really well and we're shipping stuff 10 times as fast as if we'd hired a software engineer for this yeah yeah since you want to talk about opportunities let's do that we'll jump back up the predictions we'll sort of just get some of these opportunities out the way uh and let's just continue riffing so jump in whenever uh you have a thought uh the first one we've already touched on this heavily but it's like building the first version uh of your app and lower no code, or you can even take it to more of an extreme of being the like person in the box playing chess against whatever, like you're just mm -hmm. mainly mechanical automated. <laughs> be a mechanical Turk, exactly, <laughs> uh, for this thing. And then if you need to, if you need a higher fidelity solution, do that over time as you validate uh, with, each, with each step. Uh, the second one, which I also feel like we touched on is around reducing internal dependencies. So like if you have like marketers or product managers or customer support people, they need to like access data or transform data in a certain way. Uh, you talked about like where are the opportunities, this sort of plays on another one later, but if you want to be like a coach or a consultant to come in the companies and empower these people to do this, that's mm -hmm. another opportunity close to, close to reducing um, those internal dependencies. It's almost like we're talking about this transaction. It's like one side of the transaction is the business that's reducing these internal dependencies. The other one is the business that's enabling them to do this. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah going into <laughs> services with this, because no one knows how to do it yet. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, another one is building uh, like growth tools with low code. There was a whole report on growth tools where if you're a mortgage broker having a mortgage calculator, that's a very like simplistic mm. thing. Um, trying to think of some other things. Of there well, probably these, some play. Oh, yeah. sorry. There, there's all these like survey. Oh, I, I just saw one of these. Like, there's a survey 
I'm sure there are a million of these where it's like, it's a lead gen tool, you know, find out what type of developer you are or whatever. And then that leads to whatever product. Um, yeah, building that with no code or sorry, I get this isn't about no code. It's about low code, but taking some kind of like UI no code tool and then writing your own JavaScript to handle the flow and stuff like that for the survey would, uh, yeah, seems like an opportunity. Oh man, you just made me think about another one. Uh, for some reason, Stripe came to mind, but thinking about all the microsats like UI checkout. So like if you think mm -hmm. of Stripe as that layer, they're like this thin UI layer on top of that. Uh, and you have some, I wouldn't say pretty big businesses, but they're like microsats because they're solid uh, capital efficient companies being built, uh, allowing people to write less code. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we already talked about sort of the like SaaS or anything as a service uh, play here. Uh, is there anything else? I thought it was interesting to think about like low code testing solutions of like we had uh, QAs that we use like Cucumber where we write these functions that they can call with like natural language. Uh, I, I don't think that because I'm using a lot of tools right now, I won't mention any names, but I don't think that enough companies are out there actually writing tests. Uh, for this Agreed. stuff, because I feel like we are the QA for them in a way. I'll yeah. just say that. that, that, that. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm curious, what do you think, like, in the selling sh uh, shovels to gold diggers thing? You already said, like, being a coach or a consultant and coming, coming in. You talked about the thin layer. Are there other, like, opportunities to, to build the technology and sell it to low coders rather than, like, using the low code? Yeah, and this this kind of gets to a point of like there almost always being a thin line between predictions and opportunities and something that I would uh, throw up to for us to consider are it's around like these newer form factors popping up of in the SMS marketing report I talked about wine text which is uh, Gary Vee is involved with where he's running daily deals for wine with the uh, sort of implicit in that is, hey, we might run out of this wine, so you better get it now. And it's sort of this new form factor of this new mechanic of you're going to text me a deal a daily deal, I need to react quickly. So it sort of justifies that like immediacy of text messaging. Uh, there's this guy, Sam in Trends Pro, where he's building text retailer that gives anyone access to this mechanic. So it doesn't have to be wine. It can be shoes. It can be an alternative asset. It doesn't even have to be tangible. Hmm. Uh, but it's like democratizing or commoditizing this form factor to your point of like picks and shovels. That's interesting. So you just copy the stuff sophisticated companies are doing and then offer it to unsophisticated, uh, unsophisticated companies. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think we may have jammed. We did talk about, we talked for the competitor risk report. Uh, and there was this thing where I talked about, like, I, I say it in the absolute sense. Of course, this is an absolute, but I still like there are no patents and sats. It's virtually true. It's not completely true, but it's virtually true of, you know, oh, like uh, two-way rating systems. As soon as it was out there, as soon as this thing is like gained traction, proven to work, we're just going to adopt this mechanic and roll that into our business. Uh, and maybe that's not something where it's sort of justified. Uh, where do I put this? Justified, like a business being behind it is just something that you adopt. Mm -hmm. Maybe it could be a library of like, we're going to enable you to do this. Uh, but, and I don't know what this, what, this, what this threshold is, but it's like the question of whether, whether a business can be built on this thing, if that makes sense. So it, it probably has something to do with like whether you're hosting code, whether you're storing the solution, like whatever you think about like self-custody, like Coinbase versus some other wallet or something. Right. Uh, that's very much a tangent. Well, you talked about open source code earlier. I had never thought about it this way until this conversation, but the open source model is almost like lead gen for developers to get jobs, sort of. 
Like, I yep. wonder if like building low code in the, the more on the code, code side than the no code side, uh, but like open source frameworks and stuff like that is maybe not something you monetize directly, but still a very, very good career move potentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, is there anything else here where I keep having to tell myself not to pull this trigger to do this myself, uh, but there are like a lot of like low code uh, or no code scraping solutions out there where people are building like data as a service companies on the back of this. Uh, they're scraping this side. A lot of people are doing this. They'll get access to TechCrunch and then they'll like sell leads or they'll do whatever. Uh, and yeah, it's like subscription businesses are being built um, with these local tools that are data, data as a service. Uh, so sorry, just, just to make sure I yeah. understand. So someone makes a tool to scrape generic data. You take that tool, scrape a specific kind of data, put it in an Airtable and then sell the Airtable basically? Yeah, it could be like government data. It could be that you're paying for access to, uh, again, like cr a crunch-based database and you're going to add yeah. some type of filter on it and now say, hey, this company just raised money. Maybe they could be like a design client or something for you. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, almost, it goes back to understanding the problem of like how well can you communicate that because almost anyone can do it. You're just working on a different part of the stack, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, even for what I say about, uh, and I know we go back and forth on this, and I don't mean it in an absolute sense, but code being commoditized and it coming down to proprietary distribution, uh, you can and you should focus more on distribution as this part becomes more commoditized, which we agree yeah. is a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, and this this is consistent with what we said that. Uh, the craftsmanship is coming at a, it's it's distribution craft instead of technical craft, which scares me a little bit because I'm not good at distribution. So I don't love that future, but I, I agree. You're probably right about it. You're a very intellectually honest man. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, let's see some other opportunities. Uh, we already talked about uh, these form factors being democratized. Uh, Another opportunity, and this is sort of just like a direction or a recommendation to uh, have a preference for platforms where you can like export your code, where uh, this is sort of secondhand knowledge. I haven't tried this myself, but I use Integramat and Zapier. Uh, and I didn't know with Integramat you could export your code. It makes sense that with Zapier you can't. But now understanding that I have a preference towards Integramat because the switching costs are lower. They have less lock-in. Uh, Sorry, like, less what is it export? Like it exports code that like makes the API calls to the two different endpoints? That's the part that I don't understand. I was doing research and I actually have input C. I'd have to pull it up now. Okay, uh, that's fine. I, I was... Yeah, that's why, that's why I that that about this being secondhand because I wasn't even aware that that was possible. Hmm. Um, someone just mentioned that that was possible in the podcast I was listening to doing research uh, for this report. And um, let's, let's sort of like, if we take them out of the picture and let's say that there's a platform where you can export, you can not can it. You can and you can't. I would have a preference source of one where you can. And I think uh, I talked about this in the DAO, but almost like this fork threat of you may never have to use this power, but the fact that that's an option, it keeps power in check. It keeps them more honest of we understand that the barrier to exit is lower for our customers. So we're going to have a bent towards serving them. I'm using tools right now where it feels like they're more concerned with acquisition than existing users because they can be. The mm -hmm. lock-in is so high that they can have this preference. Uh, and predictably, I'm going to stay up to this very high threshold. Uh, and I just think that like, yeah, it, it's just like a classic case of incentives. Yeah. And you've said before, I think that like APIs are an, a form of low code potentially. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, like the world, this trend has been happening for years now, but like more and more fragmented and like rather than having 
Oracle that does, or SAP that does everything for you, you've got 20 different SaaS vendors that integrate together. So yeah, this idea that like the more that happens, the more locked into each piece of that and like that exporting piece being really important makes sense to me. And then going to jump back up to predictions uh, from here of the prediction that I think we left off on was sort of talking about how low code is moving into these other domains where it used to be funny just because like a friend would think that like, oh, you know how to code. So you build games and you can't build games. This is like this world is almost like so vast where it's like people in DeFi that don't understand anything about NFTs. People in NFTs don't understand. It's just like you get to this point where these are different areas. But uh, this prediction is around like local leading more into like the gaming world, more into the data science world, these other domains where it's even helping. Well, we've already accepted that like developers are using APIs. Developers already love uh, low code, but they're able to like build more games. They're able to get into like data science more. These other areas where you can sort of justify having, they could be their own role before and they'll continue to be their own role. Um, but just like a lower barrier to entry, uh, and to jump to another point, I know I'm combining ideas. Well, sorry, uh, but quick it, comment on that. Yeah. I, I don't know, like if you play video games and stuff, I don't anymore, but like Warcraft 3 back in the day had this vibrant mm -hmm. ecosystem of tower defense games. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I feel like I understand that like form factor, what we're talking about. Yeah. So like, I mean, this was 10, 15 years ago, but yeah, there were all the, like you, you could take the Warcraft 3 level editor and make a completely different game out of it. And you did have to like trigger events and have logic. And uh, that was like maybe my first experience with low code that I, I didn't even think of it that way at the time. But now that you say that, that's exactly what it was. This helps a lot because I just had a placeholder for like find examples of this in gaming. I didn't have any <laughs> So boom, there we go. <laughs> nice. uh, this is labeled as a prediction, but it's more of a dig <laughs> at developers who like hate on low and no code, uh, where it's just like the, the best, the smartest developers will embrace like no and low code solutions. It kind of goes back to what we talked about, where it's just like they're thinking more about the outcome or mm -hmm. the problem and like the implementation. Uh, and well, it, I also think about Lambda School here, where it's the classic irony of like they're a coding school but they're using like all no no code and low code on the back end. Like they they they're proud of this fact uh, that that's the way they operate. I would be fast. I don't know if you, any of the people you talk to are older than us, mm -hmm. but I like what did people when people went from writing C to Java? Did this same thing happen where it was like, oh, that's not real code or something? Or like people aren't writing machine code anymore. So obviously, everyone to some extent embraced this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look out for that. I'll, I don't know if I'm talking to anyone like older, but I saw this a lot where a lot of Ruby developers I, I, I worked with were former Java people. So I kind of caught mm, the like, okay. end same idea. Yeah. Yeah. I've caught the tail end of that jump. Um, and I don't know, man, probably like I don't pay a lot of attention to like sort of like surroundings of what other people say, but um, I, I have dealt with the fair share of like, oh, Ruby doesn't scale, blah, 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 which I mean, it's some justified yeah. justified stuff there but again like it's just like if i can validate faster than you i can probably afford to hire some people to get closer to the metal too so well and matter. shopify is on yeah. ruby stripe is on ruby like you can scale enough <laughs> and that was also the thing you mentioned like google earlier i think one of the uh i don't know if it's called uh tornado or phantom or something that like facebook did where uh they made like php more efficient it's just like we have the resources yeah, HHVM, right? Okay. Hip hop, hip hop virtual machine. I think it was. Yeah, it's just like we have the resources and this vested interest to like make this thing better. 
Uh, and it, you know, it's worth it for us. So we're going to do this at this point, like at mm-hmm. what stage are you, what should you be optimizing for at this point? Uh, should be the question. Yeah. Um, there's another prediction here saying that, uh, like low code extends beyond like code to like low law, low accounting, low podcast editing. If we're talking about the script, almost like this low pro movement, mm-hmm. uh, like barrier to entry is a lot lower. I think that's the very first point you made about giving like more people access to building more access to creating. Yeah. I don't have anything to add, but I like it. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. We already talked about like the whole token standard protocol standard where uh, you sort of like playing with incentives and governance as opposed to like the underlying uh, like code and possibly messing with security in the DeFi world. Uh, Anything else? This won't make it in, but it's also just interesting to think about how um, like Stripe cannibalization isn't the work because they're actually doing it in a self-interested way. Um, but they're like they have the they have sort of this like boilerplate checkout now that you can use without even being a developer. It's just interesting watch, watching them move in that direction. Of they just used to be super focused on developers. Uh, they had the ecosystem for these UI layers, and now they're also getting into the UI layer game themselves. So you don't have to use one of these partners uh, for certain use cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what the other examples are. So like Salesforce comes to mind as a company, maybe like kind of a different, Salesforce is really interesting to me because they have intentionally, they've been very explicit. They keep their product kind of bad so as to not compete with their partners. Like they, they post in their, you know, like annual reports and stuff. They're like, we can't add this feature because we would piss off too many partners. So we're just going to let the partner ecosystem handle them. Whereas it seems like Stripe's a little bit more like we're going to gradually, you know, there's not going to be the need for all of these uh, partners if we keep expanding the product. Yeah, from what I hear, like I've talked to multiple people that have like owned and sold or like owned and sold Shopify apps. And they talk about Shopify being more towards that. uh, I don't know if I would characterize Stripe this way, but if we are sort of creating this persona of I'm going to compete with my partners, I'm going to compete with the and once this thing has proved traction, it seems that Shopify uh, is more aggressive in that direction. Yeah, I've definitely heard that as well. Amazon's got to be the worst, right? Where it's like, oh, man. put your Amazon product had... and we'll compete with you immediately. <laughs> yeah, the internal startup studio, more data than any of their sellers. Like, oh, like, you know, this this form of organic to- toilet paper is selling. Let's create this brand. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. Uh Cool. So we already covered opportunities. Going to jump down to key lessons. It feels like this is where like we really jam out and we get super philosophical. <laughs> so uh, this first key lesson we already talked about it. Like low code isn't the last stop. It's sort of this direction of you're moving from like analog or no code in the sense that like there isn't even code that you don't have to write. Uh, the mechanical Turk that you uh, like lobbied up earlier to no code. There's code that exists, but you're not writing it. Low code, higher fidelity, a little more technical full-on code, I need something that's like specific to my niche or solves a scalability or security concern that like I have, uh, like this unique need that I have uh, as a business. The other um, key lesson is, it just goes back to like the low pro point of like low law, low accounting. We're just allowing like, we're, we're giving these professionals access where there aren't any like, not, I won't say any, there's a lower technical barrier to them like building stuff for themselves. Yeah, it's, I mean, you said earlier that we're standing on the shoulders of giants or whatever, where 
There's everything about society today are things that a thousand years ago were innovative and novel. And over time, we should expect everything that we're doing to just be automatic in the background. No one even remembers how they work anymore. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, and then back to like the coffee shop example where we talked about that, we talked about open source, where it's just like businesses have these shared struggles where a lot of things or a lot of problems that businesses face are non-unique, where it's just like, do you really need to reinvent subscription billing or blogging or forums or all these things? Mm-hmm. Uh, the advantage being that if you are willing to uh, sort of throw that part of the wall um, back to the point of like the rest of the world is conspiring to roll out new features, improve this thing. Uh, and then you can just like hit upgrade uh, as opposed to, you know, trying to like reinvent the wheel yourself again, focusing on what's unique about uh, your business. Like this is whole like meta thing we've been talking around this whole time about just economics and specialization. And then you can yeah. just like draw it out as many times as you want to of all the, implica- all the implications of that. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I'm going to start talking. Um, okay, so uh, a, a criticism that has I've heard a lot of thrown at Bay Area kind of traditional VC type companies is that what they do is they just take any industry and they're like, if we take a thousand really good engineers who know nothing about this industry, they'll be able to do a better job than, uh, you know, what, whatever, healthcare, finance, whatever you, whatever you want. When you were talking about the the coffee shop that doesn't need the technology, though, like it almost makes me wonder: does this does this blow up the Silicon Valley approach? Is it like okay, uh, yes, Google, Facebook, companies at real scale still need big engineering teams, of course. But if techno if baseline technology is good enough, can you come along and throw engineering resources at an industry and still disrupt it, or has software already eaten the world and? there's going to have to be some other kind of disruption. Yeah, I think because um, we talked about this, maybe it was last night or a few nights ago where we were talking about like the network effects, the data effects, like a lot of these businesses are, you talked about Facebook, are like network effect businesses. Uh, and this is like getting really deep really quick, but like to go to the Dow report, of I think that network effects still matter. You need to be where the financial liquidity, the social liquidity is at. But when we're talking about open source forks, the switching costs are a lot lower. So they're like very weak monopolies in cases where VCs are looking at businesses with data effects, the Googles, um, where like the experience gets better as more people use it. uh, I think they still, at least for now, they still have, um, they have an advantage there. But I do think a lot of these venture scale companies that would justify this approach are built on network effects. And I think that we'll see like less and less it's sort of that unworked out, um, that unworked out idea that I sort of threw up earlier of when does this justify, when does this, when, when is this problem something that you can sort of charge for in like a, a garden type of way of, are you hosting data? Are you hosting like uh, computing resources? Mm-hmm. I don't know what all the properties of that are, but like whatever those things are, um, they may still like be able to fight in that arena. This seems related to me to the, the fragmented market topic you did right because if something if something's winner take all probably throwing a thousand engineers at it is worth it and if something's not like and i'm in this industry right salesforce salesforce was too easy to compete with like yeah they've got a moat of like app partnership stuff like that but if if you use one crm and i use another it it doesn't matter to either of us so probably if we're all on kind of commodity no code low code tools eventually 
uh, I don't, I don't fully have that thought fleshed out, but anyway, no, it's a, to me it's a beautiful point because it's just like, if you go into a fragmented market and I almost think about it as like VCs doing charity, if this isn't an original point, but it's like you're subsidizing this fragmented market because you're going to throw a thousand engineers at this problem. They're going to create, they're smart people. They're going to create these new form factors. They're going to push it forward. And then all of these other players are going to come in and take a chunk of flesh because they can, because it's not a fragmented market. I mean, it's not a, it's not a category of one until mm-hmm. your point before where it's just like, if it were, you can even afford to bleed like mil- millions and millions of dollars for years because you can justify making that back up on the back end. The mode is going to be so large that you can like, yeah, I'm going to go back into all the ideas of that report, but just also <laughs> thinking about predictions like S-curve of the way uh, markets have worked in the past. And we're going to be very generous up front. We reached that point of liquidity and it's just like, it's you have to be where the liquidity is at now. So we're going to like turn the tables and extract rents now, uh, which I'm not... Uh, I don't want to use the word communist, but like, I understand like the way things work. It's just an acknowledgement of it. I'm not arguing with it. I'm just acknowledging the way things have worked. So do you think a a possible conclusion from that is that no code, low code affects fragmented markets more than winner take all markets? I don't know. I think it affects both. I I think it affects both. If we look at like uh, the, the competitive nature, does it make, categories of one of these like more monopolistic markets less competitive i don't think it does or more less competitive i don't think it does i don't think it i don't think it has anything to do with like whether um whether like competition increases or decreases i think it makes both it lowers the barrier to entry to both uh because i'm also thinking about share tribe right here where it's just like it's a low code no code platform all about building marketplaces so any micro marketplace like crazy micro marketplace idea you have you can spin mm-hmm. that up quickly and try to validate it and see if you can build enough liquidity to support that marketplace. So that's an example of once they have that like corner of the universe there, um, like your roomie talks about this for studio time where he's like, it's not worth anybody else's time to try to like, he's like the market isn't big enough, but I have like a small monopoly or micro monopoly in this like renting studio space. Um, so it's like it was a low barrier entry for him to test it out maybe he wouldn't have done it and he'll tell you this, maybe he wouldn't have done it if the cost of development and cost of validation were higher, but it was just like, it was a share tribe instance. I spun it up, uh, you know, and went city by city, classic, like Beanie Bay strategy, Amazon book strategy, Harvard Facebook mm-hmm. strategy and built it up. And it's not really worth anyone trying to like attack that um, with like billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, I think that's my point though, is like, that's not a market where a company with, $50 million and an army of engineers is going to go after them. So it mm-hmm. it will it will likely be won by someone building on no code or low code. Whereas yeah. probably the next social network won't, is my guess. Or I don't know. There are some industries that will still probably be dominated by like just raw engineering talent because like you said, they're going to make so much money on the back end if they win. They don't want to take chances and have even a slightly, slightly worse pro- like engineered product by using these these other tools like it's worth it to them to over engineer it i think yeah i love that you mentioned social networks because i was going back and forth on whether to like continue pulling this thread and you gave me the like segue to do it but to go back to the dow report uh i do think that there are these other forces that affect whether these uh winner take most or winner take i'll say winner take most winner take all is a myth winner take most markets become more competitive and i think it's things like decentralized networks where Network effects still matter. They don't become any less important. It's just that 
these monopolies are a lot weaker because the lock-in is a lot less. Uh, mm-hmm. It's easier to like transfer your data. Um, it sounds small, but it has huge implications. Facebook can get away with a lot of crap <laughs> because yep. you can't easily like export your data to another platform. I would even argue that they don't have to, it, it sort of gives you, when you have network effects, it sort of gives you this, um, this, this ability to be lazy. I, I did that report on market marketplaces, but it's like you have to actively try to like fuck up a marketplace. Like you have to really, once you have liquidity, you have to really try to fuck up. It's yeah. a beautiful, like Warren Buffett would love that business. It's yeah. <laughs> It's like Craigslist, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's see. Gonna see if there are any other key lessons here. Just that like developers love no- low code, even if like they spend their time like hating on it. Oh, it's not customizable. Like I feel like the second, the fact that you're not writing in C, I won't even, I'll, I'll still man and say like C and not machine code. Uh, the fact that like you're writing in C tells me that you love low code. The fact that you just wrote this function so you don't have to repeat yourself. You love low code. You love lower code. Uh, I just think that they should think more deeply about that. The use of APIs, the use of frameworks. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, just the fact that like when you give an individual or a small group uh, or anyone like more leverage, you get like these smaller firms, but they're able to have like an outsized impact. Just going back to that million dollar one person businesses. Uh, report there. Acknowledging if, the mm-hmm. Are there like historic examples of this where one big company enabled massive entrepreneurship from a lot of small businesses? Like I'm trying to think of an example of that and I'm sure there are some and I'm none are coming to mind though. <laughs> I think about like WordPress and Shopify or mm-hmm. you sort of think about the, 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 the like usual aspect of this low code, or even um, hell, Excel or Google Sheets. Yeah, but no, I mean, like, I was, sort of think, like I was gonna say, let's say like higher in terms of the stack, but like WordPress, like how many small or like one person million dollar businesses are built on WordPress? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I was thinking even further back than that. I, I was thinking like yeah. Alexander Graham Bell invents the telephone. What what's the effect of that or something like? Because like what we're basically saying here is these things keep layering on top of each other. Twenty years from now, no one's gonna call it no code. They're just gonna be like, that's how you build software. Um, but you're, the the opportunity that you said that uh, or, or that I'm responding to is like, yeah, basically, is there precedent that as soon as this thing no longer is a technical moat, to your point, it creates a new round of opportunity for all these other small businesses? Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, just to strengthen your point from before of like that's why I think that that sort of effect that you talked about of oh, once it becomes table stakes, it almost becomes like unremarkable. Uh, that's why it's a hot take that like WordPress or Excel are lower no code tools. Mm-hmm. And at one point it was remarkable the fact that like anyone could split, spin up a blog. Now this is like you're born into a world of, of course you can do that. And it's like, you don't get how <laughs> remarkable this is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's a key lesson, just acknowledging like a trade-off. One of those being like around customization of, you know, we acknowledge that if you're going to say, I'm going to paint in broader strokes, you can probably jump to the art analogy here. I'm going to paint in broader strokes. I can get an idea across, but it might not be like hyper-realism. This might not be the most like real, you know, form of art, uh, but you get the idea, right? In the, in the sense that, you know, if this, if this, if this painting resonates, well, let me, let me double back and let me spend years like really getting into, you know, I don't know the art terms, but like, this art is, this light is reflecting the right way off of this window pane, all these like crazy things. 
I think a lot in terms of models, I tend to think right. of models. All these indie video games that are just as much fun as the, you know, AAA $100 million video games. It's like, yeah, the, the fancy graphics are nice, but like, that's not what made the game fun. Yeah, yeah. They're crass people about different parts, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of the problem. Um, just doubling back to another key lesson, doubling back to, there are a lot of like hard problems that we have yet to solve. Um, and we can take some of that like time away from building CRUD apps to focus on these harder problems. Uh, back to the quote, right? The things that can be done mindlessly or without thinking about them frees us up to worry about and solve other problems. Um, also, just talking about like low code, I think about it in terms of less code. And I think that's why I have such a broad definition of like what defines low code, whether it's APIs, you don't have to like write, you can sort of throw this this problem or this job that you've done over the wall and you know what to expect back uh, in terms of that contract. Let's see. Trying to see like a lot of this stuff because we've just we've jammed out so much that we've covered a lot of this. There's another thing around like uh, focusing on like your non-unique needs of I mean or your unique mm. need, uh, and it's just like throwing the non-unique ones over the wall back to like our coffee shop example that we keep talking about. Um, I think a lot of this stuff is just going to be repetitive just because we're having this like sort of synchronous yeah interaction. I- we're getting on this stuff before we get to it. A hundred percent. It's fun talking in in your community about this stuff. I'm interested if you have any thoughts. Like I mentioned 10 years ago, I kept worrying about these competitors that would build on WordPress. They build a CRM. WordPress is open source. And so they'd be like, well, we're going to use, they have a login system, like the settings are already built. And then they like go in and make, just tweak it. And they all failed. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think like, the current trend of no code, low code is is different. I would I would have to dig into like why they failed, and this they, I think they I sucked. Me, like, the product sucked. I was gonna say like maybe <laughs> I'm like just looking backwards and like the benefit of hindsight here, but it's just like that doesn't sound like the best idea. Maybe in terms of like making a quick buck, if you're just like hey, like I already have proprietary distribution, and I want to say that hey, I have a CRM that you can use as built-in WordPress, but it doesn't sound like a great idea to me now. Maybe it did mm-hmm. then, maybe... I, I, I can't say because I have... The but do you think doing that. it with modern tools changes that? Like if you're building it with Airtable and member st- whatever whatever stack you want, yeah. is it more doable to compete with kind of legit SaaS, SaaS software that way? I think it goes... Yeah, I think it goes back to what we said earlier about the life cycle of... I have like some of the most... Like if we just want to talk about like no code as a movement, these are some of the most resourceful people that I've ever seen. Of You can throw them a super complicated problem and they will break it down really fast. They've sort of built this muscle up of I need this, this, and this. So you can type, type form to Calendly to blah, blah, blah. And it'll get you 60% of the way there. But this, this is why I'm thinking about the WordPress CRM things. I wouldn't for a second think that they could stay there uh, if this if this turns turns out to be useful, that they can actually mm-hmm. stay, stay at that level of fidelity, you will have to move. Okay, uh, that just helps you like validate that this is a problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. I forget what you said that made me think of that, but anyway, back yeah, to you. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about that, but it's like yeah, man, this is a this is a report all in of itself. But it sort of talked about this in competitor risk of you have like these like newer market. Now I'm going off on a tangent, but these newer <laughs> micro popping up where it's just like, uh, like, oh, like create a web page out of a Notion document or all of the AI generated copy solutions uh, where it's just like, if this is a pressing need, there are a lot of stuff that we're willing to put up with. But also if it's a fragmented market, 
that's a lot of pressure for you to move fast and for you to like keep rolling out stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is it G GPT three or whatever it is that all the, um, the text prediction stuff's based on? It's so cool how like this open source thing gets launched, which feels like low code by this definition, but then yeah. everyone starts building on it, but none of them control the underlying technology. So it's like, okay, you, you put in, put in, you get out, put out. Some people are going to have really novel use cases, but there's no moat at all there. Yeah. And you're actually making their model stronger. Mm -hmm. Like we're making Google stronger with these search, right? It, it's super yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a newer uh, thing that I like to toss up and get your idea on in terms of key lessons. And this is one is like as like low code or no code as a competitive advantage where for, like I'm fascinated with this idea of categories of one versus more like fragmented markets where in this case, I'm going to say that like if you're in a fragmented market and you're not using like low code, no code solutions, when you should, uh, when it makes sense to do them, uh, you're putting yourself at like a competitive disadvantage. Whereas if you were in a category of one, it almost doesn't matter. The mode is so large that you can like entertain and maintain these, uh, these, <laughs> what's the, these inefficiencies, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. And to go even deeper down this rabbit hole, that's why I think that like Substack can say outside of credit card transaction fees, we're going to take 10% of your income because most of those writers are in categories of one. They're not sort of kept honest by another AI generated copy player where they're going to like reinvest that money into paid acquisition. It's like they don't have to think about their, their, their business so much as it's like a fishing engine if you're in a category of one. Uh, then to just roll back, go way back is just around uh, just businesses and fragmented markets is going to be kept a lot more honest, if you understand what, I, what I'm saying there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, uh, this is a threat to me, I think. You know, we, we came around prior to a lot of these tools that allow, I don't think from a product standpoint, allow you to move faster, but from like an internal tooling and stuff like that, we just spent eight months moving our marketing website to Webflow. Um, not the app, just, you know, our homepage, our pricing page, a full-time person working for eight months. And it was worth it because now we, we developed that muscle a little bit now. Oh, we want to launch a new, uh, email course with a landing page. Okay. A marketing person can go off and do that. Whereas before we had to write full code to at least integrate that, that third-party tool. So I have experienced like looking at what are the th what are the existential threats to less knowing CRM and it's someone coming along that can move so much faster than us and all that stuff and no code low code is probably a big part of that I would guess so I, I yeah. buy what you're saying and I'm very curious in terms of uh, with those eight months like where was most of the time spent uh, was yeah I'll just ask the question yes. It's going to support 100% something you said earlier which is the maintainability of this when you use these no code tools everything is plugged into each other in a formalized way, right? They're using documented APIs. And so if you want to move from one to the other, it's, it's not that hard. Whereas what we had, we kind of built our own analytics tools and stuff like that. So it's like someone hits a web page. What's all the stuff that happens? Well, we check their source. We get their cookies. We save it to our session database. We log it to our analytics page. We link it to the ad advertisement they clicked. We had all these things going on. And so we had to untangle that all before we could move it to Webflow. Um, it's not that web Webflow itself was not hard. It, it yeah. was making it so all of our existing systems didn't break when we switched to Webflow. And I know this isn't even about the report, but I'm, again, <laughs> I'm interested in terms of like, 
on some of that friction just enough to like force you guys to like rethink certain parts of like like why are we collecting this is there a better like a better question that we could ask in terms of analytics like just the fact of like having to move it over was that enough friction to question like some underlying assumptions uh yes i don't think i think actually a lot of it i end up still feeling pretty pretty reasonable about I, i've talked to a lot of people who just say this is not a solved problem like if you're using Webflow or any website host, Google Analytics, whatever, it's very hard to track someone from clicking an ad all the way through, not just signing up for a free trial, but paying at the end of the uh, free trial and churn after that. There are not good tools, as far as I'm aware, to track that whole life cycle. So we do that internally. I still feel good about it. But we did take away a lot of other stuff. Let me give you an example. If you click a certain link, we know you're coming from the UK because it's like an affiliate link for someone in the UK. We link you to that you're probably paying in pounds and we update everywhere we put a price everywhere on the website to show it in pounds. When we switched to Webflow, we were just like, okay, you'll see it in dollars. You'll live with it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good example of uh, what I was asking about there. Cool. Um, another uh, sort of key lesson is just that like with low code, a lot of times what you're getting, um, you're getting speed and you're getting focus. You can afford to move faster uh, back to the craftsmanship example. You, you can be fanatical about other parts uh, of the problem in a way. Um, this might get out there. And this is like classic, like Tyler Drew stuff, the way we get like super philosophical. <laughs> like, like low code is language. Stick with me here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can communicate with you and I can use words or I can use definitions in place of every word that I would use. So it's almost like the word is the nub. And yeah, I may give up some like specificity in terms of what I'm trying to get through to you. Um, but that's the, just for the sake of speed, right? Like, am I going to live my life trying to define every single concept that I'm talking about? And then it like reaches this point where I can't define this no further. Uh, so it's just like, we're going to be generous a lot of times when I'm talking or you just said something a minute ago where, uh, I may have like heard an absolute and it's just like, I know what he means. Like, I'm going to be generous in terms of my interpretation. Right. Right. Where if we were to drill down, I'm sure we would have found like a reasonable, like nuance there where it's just like, that's, you know, that's not what I meant. Uh, and it's just that, that again, modeling using like thinking and models of art painting in broad strokes. Yeah. You may not create like hyper-realistic art, uh, language using words in place of definitions. Yeah, you're gonna lose some nuance. Or you can think of Twitter versus a Word document, right? Like you're mm -hmm. gonna trade off nuance, um, but just looking at that world of like trade-offs in terms of succinctness. I'd love to hear a linguistics take on this. Like I know that different languages, like German is kind of famous for having, there's a word for every concept. Whereas in English, if you wanna explain the concept, you have to like use multiple words to describe it. Um, and I almost wonder if like, German is full code and English is low code here or something like that. <laughs> I love that. And this isn't fully fleshed out, so I won't go too deep into it, but I was also thinking about like memes versus what I'm actually trying to get through. Uh, it's just this like this vehicle to like accelerate uh, this thing that I'm trying to sell you on to get through to you as opposed to uh, the, the intricacies of it. Like how many people have seen the meme versus how many people have read the editorial? Uh, it's going to be like 10 or 100 times more that are familiar yeah. with the meme with understanding the history of the origin of it. That's really interesting. Or yeah, just, yeah, everyone reads the headline and starts commenting on it without without clicking yeah. through. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Exactly. Thank you for going to that crazy place. <laughs> <laughs> Back to low code. Uh, 
Let's see. We might be towards the end and ready to jump into the haters uh, section. Yeah, we've covered the rest of those ideas. Uh, first hater is just like, hey, um, you can't build everything in low code. And it's just like, that's a given. Uh, mm -hmm. if there's something that you can't build or you need more customization, like focus on that unique problem and these other solved problems around authentication, blogging, billing, whatever. Uh, throw those parts over the wall. It's also like investing in cars that run on gasoline right now. Like, yeah, they still exist, but they won't in 15 years. So like, you know, don't don't invest heavily in making a differentiator something that's going to be covered by low code in 10 years. Love that. Cool. Uh, and the second one just is around, uh, like this will take developer jobs away. And we already talked about that. If like you're this like highly technical person or highly specialized, like that's not the case. You just read up to uh, just to like focus more on edge cases, to focus more on the bleeding edge. And ironically, they'll use a lot of like low code solutions if we have this generous. Yeah, I was just going to say, people. yeah, if they yeah. refuse to learn low code, then maybe it is bad for their job, but they shouldn't refuse that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a signal. It's a negative signal. There. <laughs> Um, are there any other like hater uh, comments or ideas or like skill manning intelligence disagreement you can think about? Well, we already talked about it, but like you didn't call this something a hater would say, but I was thinking of it that way, which is, oh, you know, I like th basically saying C is low code. Like you are already using oh, abstraction, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's do that. Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good point to talk about, like, at least explaining. I don't think I'll convince everybody, but explain when I talk about, like, low code as a spectrum. And when I think low code, when I hear low code, I hear less code. Uh, and at what point, at what point, at what stop on this train are you going to hop on? Are you going to hop on the, like, high-level programming point? Or mm -hmm. are you going to hop on the point? Or whatever, yeah. Because I'll admit, when you first gave, like, asynchronously, we were chatting on Twitter or whatever, and you gave me your take on this. And I was like, it's not, like, sure, I guess PHP is low-code, but it's not interesting. Like, everybody is writing with abstracted language. I just didn't, I didn't understand what was interesting about it. And now I appreciate what's interesting about it is the way I think PHP is table stakes right now, we will think... All, you know, the, the current generation, that's what code will be 20 years from now. And it's not categorically different. It just feels different because it's right now. Yeah, yeah. And to that point, I didn't even want to talk about low code this week or at all, because it's sort of, it, it feels so close to no code. But usually what ends up happening if, if I, remote work felt this way as well, where it's just like, people got super excited about that report. They got super excited about the idea that report is coming out. But it's like, I don't care. Like it's all around us. It's everywhere. Uh, and yeah, if I'm being completely transparent, I think that um, what had an outsized influence is the fact that uh, you wanted to jam on this stuff. So I'm like, okay, like let's pick this up. We'll get the opportunity to just like repeat ourselves about like leverage and abstraction and double down on these points. Um, and yeah, that's the thing. When you sort of like double back, you can go deeper because at least if people have checked out the no code report, we sort of have this like base understanding. Now we can get like a lot more deeper with like more assumptions in terms of mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, ma making the space to talk about this. I, <laughs> I had a lot of fun. And yeah, I, I like, I'm not kidding. My, my take on this has shifted talking to you because I, I, when we first started talking, I thought I was going to be a little more of a curmudgeon. And now I'm, I'm 100% with what you're saying here. <laughs> I thought you were going to be too, Tyler, but usually like, <laughs> This is just higher fidelity, so like all the nuance and everything comes out. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah as you, 
Cool. All right. Well, uh, we cover all your topics here. Yeah, that's everything else. Other than that, it's just links. But uh, we, we went through the hater section. We went all the way through. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you uh, being willing to record this. And yeah, I'll, g- I'll give a whole intro and all that um, after we're done here. But thanks for being on the podcast. And I look forward to reading the report on this. Thank you for having me. This was a great idea. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much to Drew for uh, being willing to record that conversation. Uh, if you want to like actually see the report that he made based on this, uh, go over to trends.vc. Again, this is the low-code uh, report. And yeah, I'd love to hear what you thought about this. Obviously, most of the time it's just me and Rick talking, but um, on the occasion that one of us is gone, is this a, a good way to kind of fill the week? Or uh, yeah, I don't know. Let me know. All right, see you later.